0: The Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network is brought to you by Savage Arms. Now, it's turkey season. We're all out there shooting our turkey guns. One thing I can tell you is true about it is that there is always going to be more recoil with a turkey load. Now, Savage has done something that hopefully will fix this problem for you and that's a new shotgun that they've called the Renegade. The Renegade is an American-made semi-auto shotgun that uses a patented dual valve self-regulating gas system that cycles higher power loads with the same reliable consistency as lower power target loads all while cutting down on recoil. That's going to be awesome for you turkey hunters. It's going to fix a lot of your problems. Go check it out at savagearms.com forward slash renegade. This is a Houndsman XP
1: podcast with your host, Steve Fielder, and me, Chris Powell. If you're ready to up your game to extreme performance, sit back, buckle up, and hang on for another exciting episode of Houndsman XP. Hey, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Houndsman XP podcast, and I'm going to unpack what we're going to talk about in this episode. First off, our guest is Gary Robertson, and uh, you are all familiar with Gary. He's been on the podcast a few times now, maybe our most uh, frequent guest, repeat guest, and he's well worth it because Gary has been in this business for a long time in the outdoor industry, so. Uh, but also he's extremely knowledgeable and Hey, he's just an all around good guy. What can we say? Um, I, uh, have spent considerable amounts of time with Gary. You really get to know a guy when you spend hours with him in a truck looking for lion tracks. So I've spent time with him in the mountains, in the desert, in the woods, uh, in the brush country of Texas, and also in of all places, Las Vegas. And, uh, Gary is just our kind of guy. He is a stand-up guy and uh, happy to have him back. But you're going to hear stories about mudding on the uh, mud roads of the Navajo Nation and also the Hopi Indian Reservation while we're out there. And uh, we're going to talk about some historical blue tick breeding. And so I think you're really going to enjoy that. Gary has spent a lot of his time working with uh, organizations like Safari Club International, the Dallas Safari Club, and different things to preserve our way of life, our lifestyle as houndsmen as hunters. And uh, we really enjoy spending time with Gary. While we're talking about preserving our freedoms, I want to point to point you to W hunting supply. You know we are living in unprecedented times right now. And uh, big pushes about how we support local business, made in the USA tags, all those sort of things. And uh, I want to make sure that you understand that W Hunting Supply doesn't just sell uh, dog supplies, they are actively supporting your lifestyle. Uh, I can s- speak confidently for the owner, Buddy Woodbury. Uh, just this last week, we we're talking about his involvement in uh, conducting lion studies in Washington, and uh, I know the underlying uh, motive there is to do those studies so that we can prove that and and get lion hunting back in the management plans in Washington State. Uh, he also sponsors uh, this podcast, which we're extremely grateful for, but also. Uh, organizations like Sportsman's Alliance, the number one organization in the country that is trying to preserve and fight off the Humane Society of the United States and some of the animal radical groups that are out there. And uh, we have Brian Lynn on a couple weeks ago. He and Buddy are good friends. And uh, so look to W when you want to support a, a, a business that is working for you. Also, we want to point to uh, and and showcase our good friends at Freedom Hunters. Your Patreon sponsorship helps us fulfill our mission to continue our work with Freedom Hunters. Not only does it help us put out a high-quality podcast, but it also helps us promote Freedom Hunters, be involved there, coordinate uh, uh, Freedom Hunters events, we're we're going to be rolling out plenty of events this fall, and uh, your support through Patreon helps us do that. Freedom Hunters is taking veterans from field to field. That is their slogan. They're taking from the battlefield out into the field of hunting and the outdoors world back here, and that's why we want to be involved with them. And uh, so you can support Freedom Hunters directly through our website at houndsmanxp.com or if you decide you would like to support us for as little as $1 per show, you can do that at houndsmanxp.com and follow the links for our Patreon. On our front page, right below our logo, there is a button that says Support Houndsman XP. That's going to take you right to our Patreon page. And uh, once you get to that page, you're going to see that there's all kinds of cool stuff going on. And uh, we just finished up our first monthly drawing and sent the prize packages out for that drawing and we'll be doing that every month so check out us on our website houndsmanxp.com and follow us to patreon hey let's talk to gary Robertson. we're going to cover a lot of ground with him it's a fun conversation i think you'll enjoy it thanks for tuning in welcome back to the houndsman xp podcast everybody it is uh early may as we record this and um early may in indiana is 50 degrees and rain and our guest today is our old, our longtime friend i can't say old i'm afraid i'll offend you gary <laughs>
2: Well, it might be true.
1: <laughs> Longtime friend, Gary Robertson, and he's talking to us from Menard, Texas. It's 50 and rainy here. What's it like in Menard, Texas?
2: It's really nice today. It's about 70 degrees. We had a front blow in this morning, and the wind's blowing 30, 35 miles an hour out of the north. But uh, and it's supposed to be down in the 40s in the morning. But earlier in the week, we were over 100 here and for may even for us that's a little bit warm and the worst thing is it's it's dry uh you know early on we had some, you know the the year started out great we were green yeah but uh typical texas fashion uh we're dry again and uh so we're hope, we're praying for rain they're giving us a better chance into next week so we'll see
0: yeah
1: how long do you say how long how long has it been since it rained there
2: uh right here probably close to two months and uh that's that's not unusual though well you know mm-hmm. we can you know in the summers a lot of times it's fairly common to go you know three months without a rain yeah uh that's not when we get rains here we typically get rains in the springs and the falls and and uh you know if it does rain in the spring or, or the you know you wait till the fall and then if it doesn't rain in the fall you wait till the next spring <laughs>
1: um that's just the way it goes yeah it was uh, i know that uh when we were down close to you down there in your country down at katula last fall uh, people were i think people had buckets sitting out and people were doing rain dances and then when it did rain everybody was partying in the streets it was amazing
2: yes sir yes sir uh, <laughs> that's just the way it is here you know uh it's a shame this whole country is really strong and if you can just add moisture it'll grow about anything but uh, getting that moisture is is really tough.
1: How many? How, I, I'm curious about this. So Texas used to, uh, maybe. It, how many acres does it take per cow to grow beef in Texas? What's the in, in
2: Menard County where I am? We uh, we consider twenty eight acres to an animal unit. Uh, if you go west of here, we, and we get our annual rainfall is about twenty one inches. Mm-hmm. Of course, you go west of here and and their annual rainfall, it depends on where you are, it can drop down to, say, 10 or 11 inches. And then you're closer to, you know, uh, probably some of that country. Well, it's so sorry. Not only is it dry and rocky there, it's just not worth much. You know, you you can run a cow to about a half section, 320, 320
1: acres. Wow. One cow per 320 acres is what they figure. Yeah. That's amazing. Where
2: we are, we, we always figure 28 and uh you know it may you know 28 to 30 on on an animal unit
1: yeah i think i think where i'm at it's about one per three is where is what our our ratios is
2: that's that would be my guess
1: Mm -hmm. yep yep big difference big difference but hey you've uh have you been running those hounds any? That's what that's what we're talking about today, is Houndsman XP podcast. If you had a chance to get out and run any hounds, I've been seeing a few pictures on Facebook.
2: Yeah, I I have been hunting some, and uh, of course I just hunt mornings. I I go out, you know, with, generally duck the dogs about break when it's you know breaking daylight, and then hunt for a couple hours, and by then it's warming up and. Uh, I need to get back. I need to get to work, so I'll head to town. But I've been I've been hunting some, and uh, and luckily, believe it or not, I haven't found any snakes yet. Usually, that's the problem that we encounter this time of the year. Snakes are out. I know that, but but I've just been lucky, and I've been I've been going the mornings when it was a little cooler, you know, purposely trying to avoid that.
1: Right, right. Okay, so you deal with a lot of snakes every year, so. Let's talk something that's a little bit technical here, because you you always hear uh, or you see posts on Facebook and and social media about you know what to do when you get a snake bite in a dog. So, what do you do, Gary? If you get if you get a a dog bitten by a, a rattlesnake, what's your what's your process on that?
2: Well, I, I, first off, I get my dogs vaccinated uh, with the rattlesnake, you know. Uh, vaccine every year and uh, you the first time you give it to them I think it's uh, you give them one shot and then uh, two or three weeks later you hit them with a second and then of course then that then they're good through the snake season mm-hmm. and then the next year rolls around you just have to give them the one shot and uh, uh, I just gave in fact I just picked up the vaccine for my dogs just just a few minutes ago. Mm -hmm. and it cost me about 25 bucks a head to vaccinate him but that's pretty cheap insurance and i'm not going to tell you it'll it'll save a dog because i think if a dog is hot if he's been running and he gets hit by you know big hot snake especially uh you know behind the shoulder and it it, you know chances of that dog living are not real good and when i say a hot snake is i mean one that. It hasn't fed it probably in a, you know, maybe in a day or two mm-hmm. and, uh, sometime maybe longer. So that poison is really strong. You know, uh, if, if the snake is just fed or just struck something, you know, they're, they're not nearly as, you know, that venom's not nearly as strong. And, you know, I'm occasionally I'll get a dog that even with a dry bite. Uh, and then I've had, you know, I've had dogs free and there'd be a rattlesnake under the tree, and it bites as many as three dogs. One snake. Well, the first dog that gets hit, you will know pretty quick which one it was. He's mm-hmm. going to be the sickest. And then by the third, third dog, it's virtually a dry bite.
1: Right. But you still have to treat it. Do so, you still have to treat a dry you, bite though? Right.
2: And eh, not much. Uh, and of course, your favorite place to get a dog bit is on the head, where there's you know the less amount of muscle tissue is where you want him bit Mm -hmm. uh you know people you you think okay i got a a dog he got hit hind leg you know that's that's a long way from his heart he's probably going to make it and now that dog with that muscle mass and that hind leg that may be one of the worst spots because what generally kills the dog is when that poison starts to break down that the muscle tissue right and yeah. as it breaks down it overloads the kidneys and it causes them to shut down that's why when we get a dog bit the first thing i do of course is get them to a vet because i you know when generally i can be at a vet within it you know i'll just quit hunting grab the dog up i'm at the vet 30 minutes and of course i know the vet well i can call them and tell them hey meet me at the clinic i got one you know i got one bit right and uh we'll back, you know they'll hit them with oh several different things but uh main thing they do is they start running fluids through them because as that tissue breaks down the more fluids they have in them it'll help float it through the kidneys
1: okay so so i'm a guy that decides i'm coming to texas from indiana and i'm going to coon hunt with a buddy of mine i haven't done anything on snake vaccines or anything like that what would i need to throw in my kit Let's just start right there. What one thing could I have in my kit? My Benadryl. Kit. Benadryl is the first Benadryl. thing you're going to hit them with.
2: Yeah, that's the first thing I hit them with, and uh, if, if it slows, uh, you know, I know one thing. You know, I can't take Benadryl. I, it puts me to sleep down, right. and that's kind of the way it affects the dog. It slows them down, slows down that heart rate, and uh, uh, anything that you can do to help. Reduce swelling of course would help. Uh, you know, if you were going where you couldn't get to a vet, I'd say you take some of these ice packs or whatever would probably help some as mm-hmm. well. But Benadryl is the one thing that, that that I that we carry. Yeah. And then but you know in all honesty, I, I'd probably tell a guy, you know, just come down and hunt with me. If your dogs have don't know snakes uh, you know, they're the first one that's going to get hit because right. the curiosity, you know, that, that snake's pulled up and rattling the dog that doesn't know what that is. You know, he hears that snake and when he runs to him and wants to put his nose down there. Right. Well, he's going to get it. Of course, he's going to get it in the face. And if he doesn't get him in the eyeball, that's what's the best place to get bit. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, still, it's still not a good
0: deal.
1: So I shoot him up with some, uh, I shoot him up with some Benadryl. Now, I've, you know, I'm headed towards a vet. What do I need to make sure that a vet's doing for my dog to make sure that the, the impact is the lowest here? I mean, most vets uh, are going to know, but, but just. They're going to
2: know down here because they treat so many of them. So I, I don't, I don't really have an answer other than, like I said, I've got to, you know, I have my vet on uh speed dial and, you know, even if, back when i was hunting at night i i'd call him and he'd meet me at the clinic yeah and uh the sooner that dog can get treatment the better okay yep. you're you're increasing their chances of, sure. to make it
1: well that's the kind of the neat that's kind of the neat thing about doing podcasts with people from all over the country you know as mobile as we are these days you know it's not unlikely that somebody could get the bright idea and, and have the means to travel 30 years 40 years ago texas was a major road trip for people. And, um, uh, you know, i I've, I've been in Texas within twice in the last year, three times in the last year. So, you know, it's, it's good, good information to have on hand to at least discuss it, but yeah. And get it from sure. somebody that, how long have you been hunting hounds? How, how, oh, how many years first... haven't you hunted hounds? Maybe we'll go that route. <laughs> okay. I think
2: I got my first hound when I was 10.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: I, I turned sixty-seven this year, but I'll tell you that person I got was sure not worth much. <laughs> yeah, that's why it goes uh, in it. But it gave me an excuse to go, you know, and I right. would go with an, another older gentleman. And uh, you know, it's you always want to have a dog in the race, right? And uh, unfortunately, this one wasn't very in the race very often, but <laughs> but uh, anyway, we uh, you know I, I just. I've had hounds for years growing up, and then there was a period of time from about 77, 78 in there to about 88 that I did not have any because that's when the boys were born, and uh, Clint, actually the oldest one, of course, when he got to be about 10, he was was born in 78, and uh, that's when he wanted his first one, and I don't know, I guess, Dogs are in your, you know, in your blood, and right. uh, I never had taken a coon hunting or anything, but he just wanted a coon out. Yeah, and so though, it, you know, when we got back in it, it was really for him. And then now, of course, uh, he, he doesn't do it as much, and here I am with still raising these blue
1: tick dogs. Yeah, 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 good stuff. Maybe that's
2: why he quit me because because i i got into these blue ticks
1: it might be <laughs> hey at least you didn't, actually, at least you didn't try to start him with plots there we go actually <laughs> the
2: very first dog that i got him was a blue tick
1: is that right
2: uh, and i got it from do you remember darquez brumley that wrote uh what was it uh bugle mountain blue ticks or something uh he uh, nope. wrote for full
1: cry I probably and, uh, was just, hard... yeah, I was probably just starting to read full cry around 80, 1985 is when, uh, I was probably reading it in eighty nineteen eighty eighty three. but yeah, for me to recall that, I don't, I don't recall that name. I'm sure. Steve anyway, would. he was a
2: ra- Yeah. Steve would, I know he was, uh, he, he ranched North of here uh, close to, uh, Oh, kind of Possum kingdom back up in there, a little town called Newcastle. And, uh, and he had hunted a good bit out west, and just was the nicest guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's where the uh, the first blue dog that that Clint got came from, and that's was the foundation of all these I have today.
1: Yeah. So what kind of dogs are back behind behind that dog? What were some of the dogs in that pedigree? He was one hundred percent
2: bond bred, top and bottom. That was one thing he Uh, Dartez, he, you know, they, not only did they have to be blue, they had to be Vaughn bred dogs and he just, you know, he, he wasn't a big fan, but, and, but he liked those bigger, heavier made kind of long-eared dogs. And, and this, I will say one thing, this was a coon dog. I got, she was a year old when we got her and never had to break her off anything. Uh, she was as straight as I, any dog, I, I guess, straightest dog I ever saw on a coon, but she wouldn't run anything else. Yeah, uh, I had to get them a little trashier to start running all these cats.
0: <laughs> <And I> looked, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah.
2: But anyway, that's the way it goes. Then I started breeding them, basically the Smoky River dogs, right? First generation or two.
1: Well, we've asked we've asked a few of our guests this question. So you say they were one hundred percent Vaughn bred. So in those days, that would would you say nineteen seventy eight?
2: That oh. was in no. That was in about eighty eight. Eighty eight. Eighty eight. was born
1: in seventy eight. Yeah. Okay. He was born in seventy eight. You got got the Vaughn bred dog in eighty eight. So we help me out on some history here. Albert Vaughn, was he was he still breeding dogs or was he still alive in those in eighty eight?
2: I guess he. I think he was still alive in in those years, uh, but not long after that. Somebody can correct me on that, but that's probably about the time you know he was winding down. I would think,
0: because so, uh, I never
2: met the man. Okay. Uh,
0: now,
2: Dartez Brumley, of course, was the uh, fellow we got the dog from, and he mm-hmm. knew Mister Vaughn, and you know would go buy dogs from him. And then there was a fellow by the name of uh, I think it was Marlon Skinner, and he was over in East Texas, and he had all the bred dogs. And uh, I think the daddy of this female was from him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, well, the, the point well, I was get, kind of getting at is is back then, you could actually get a for real Vaughn bred dog. And, and when you scroll through, you'll see a dog, a litter of puppies for sale, or you'll see an older dog for sale, and you'll see Smoky River bred, Vaughn bred, uh, you know, Rambo bred, it all. But really, when you get down to it, that bloodline is pretty old and it's hard. It's pretty old. It's not even, yes. you've probably got, your foundation is Vaughn, but you don't call them Vaughn bred dogs in. No, no. 2020. I don't
2: call You know, my dogs, uh, she was the one we started with. She was all Vaughn. Then we went heavy, smoky river. Uh, the next couple of crosses in my dog's. Then I found the dog. I wanted a little more confirmation on him, and I got him. I found the dog uh, in Wisconsin that belonged to Dennis Upson. Right. And I saw him right. and I, I, he had even been a photo of him in a magazine, and that was the best looking blue dog I ever saw, the most athletic looking blue dog I ever saw. Mm-hmm. And his name was Upson's Blue Boy too. So I got a hold of Dennis, and I said, I uh, described that dog to me and course he he was he coon hunted a little bit really he was a bear hunter and uh i said that's the kind of dog i want to breed to well we kind of struck up for friendship and anyway he sent me three different dogs or i got three different dogs from him and the first one was the best Mm -hmm. and uh but i have gone back to that Upson's blue boy breeding several times uh most all these dogs i have have that breeding top and bottom go back to him. And then all of my dogs top and bottom go back to Clear River Diamond Jim as well,
0: right. which
2: was a dog that was supposed you know, they call Rambo breeding, but his mother was heavy, heavy. Well, she was Smoky River dog.
1: And, uh, uh, but yeah, Diamond Jim was I directly out of name. Rambo too, right?
2: Yes, he yep. was.
1: Yeah.
2: Anyway, I, he just, his dog, that dog, I thought, put pretty decent confirmation on my dogs. But uh, what I, that the offspring of that dog really liked cats.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, they, they, I think they prefer cats over coon. And a lot of people probably don't know that because that dog, I think, went to the world finals a couple of times when he was two and three years old. Uh, he never won it. I mean, he was, in, I think he was in the top 20. But anyway, he was, I guess, a pretty decent coon dog. But uh, what I found is I've had offspring of him directly out of him twice. And those dogs, they really, some of them didn't, you know, they'd treat coons and start coons tree them, but they they weren't really aggressive to them. Uh, you know, they bite them a little but not much if they caught one on the ground. So, mm-hmm. uh, but you could put a you put a cat in on the ground in front of them and man, the deal's on. They hate cats.
1: Wow. Yeah.
2: And so that's why I kind of like that in my dogs because I try to do both. Uh, if I had to, you know, it's a shame. I don't have any Bobcats left in this country. They all died out. We, you know, we, I used to catch quite a few here and,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and then, uh, Like I said, we had, they said it was feline leukemia moved through this country, and they're real slow about coming back. You know, unlike coons and coyotes, you know, they'll reproduce. But a cat, you know, she'll raise two, sometimes three kittens a year, and that's it.
0: Right.
2: Uh, So they're slower about coming back. And then nowadays we have so many guys that are out there calling, thank goodness, because that's what we
1: do for a living. (laughs) That's right.
2: (laughs) So, you know, if they call up a cat,
1: they're going to shoot it. They don't let them walk. Right, right.
2: And I think that's probably affected our population. But the you can get, you get into personally. bobcats
1: pretty quick. I mean, you can get down around and down into your old stomping grounds down in that country, and yeah, be right we back can. in
2: it. And, uh, yeah, the, we, we're close to those. And then, uh, of course, and then, of course, I love the lion deal. Yeah. Unfortunately, this year with the virus and all and them shutting down some units, it was the worst year ever to go to the Navajo reservation. Uh, in fact, I tried to call out there <laughs> yesterday to see when I could go back in. And, uh, they pretty, everything's pretty much shut down until May 31st. Yeah. Uh, as far as getting
1: a, I can't get a motel. Uh, did you so, Did you get a bear tag? Last time we talked, you were working on uh, getting a bear tag. We put
2: in, we put in for bear tags, but now they put the drawing off till the 15th of May. Okay. So we don't know. I didn't personally draw, but I put in, you know, we're trying to get two tags, so mm-hmm. we'll see. Yeah.
1: And then you still don't know if you're going to be able to get there to use them.
2: <laughs> That's true. Hmm.
1: Yeah. It's really
2: kind of awkward this year.
1: Yeah. Well, last time I've hunted with you and I hunted the, the time that I, I've hunted with you a couple of times now. One was bobcat hunting with Shorty. Sure. And then, uh, last time was on the Navajo during the Hopi Mud Fest. The Hopi Reservation, mud yes, sir. What, <laughs> what a, I haven't what a, gotten over that yet. <laughs> it, who did you get your truck washed, or is it still packing around mud? Oh
2: gosh, yeah, you have to. If you let that that mud dry on your truck, it's
1: like concrete.
2: You're going to eat. It's like concrete. You either have to knock it off with a hammer and chisel, or you're going to sell it with that mud under.
1: <laughs> when I so, pulled, you know, <laughs> the day the you, the morning I pulled out. It was cold, and I tried to go that car wash right there in Chenley and spray the mud off my my truck. And I think I, I just froze everything in place. So I was praying for rain. I was, of course, you know, because we, we met in Vegas at the shot show. So I was headed to right. Vegas, and I was praying that we'd at least have some rain on the road to loosen it up. And uh, I pulled into Vegas, and my truck was an absolute mess. People were looking at me like, "Where have you been?" Because there ain't any mud like that in vegas no and no it doesn't (laughs) rain there no so i got up one morning and i bet you i just happened to wake up as about four o'clock in the morning and i already knew i'd already scouted out one of those self-serve car washes and uh headed over there and sprayed that truck down and i left one hell of a mess in that car wash and i was just hoping and praying nobody that ran that place came by because they would have made me a d- double for the car wash i got <laughs> somebody
2: it, really would have been cussing at yank oh man it?
1: <laughs> Gee whiz. it was terrible it was terrible it's
2: terrible it but is terrible and
1: it wasn't nearly as terrible it was kind of fun for me but why don't you describe that trip we made across the hopi and i'll i'll, I'll set it up a little bit so I'm not sure why we ever ended up on the Hopi Reservation other than we were just branching out trying to find some new country to, to try to find a cat uh, lion track in. And uh, we went up that grade uh, and left, we were leaving the Navajo. We were gonna cut through, we thought we'd just cut through the Hopi and drop in to a new spot. And we thought we were gonna hit a shortcut. And as we start going up the grade, there's so much ice on the grade that somebody had thrown hay on it so we could get traction to get up there. And then after that, the ice was the -hmm. least of our concerns.
2: Oh, I I was praying for ice once we got up on top. If those Roads had been frozen, we would have been fired.
1: Oh, absolutely. But once we
2: got on top, uh, of course, it was – I have no idea how many miles we drove. And, of course, all of it was sideways. (laughs) I don't know how many times we were off the road. Into the ditch, uh, and we were just cutting across the Hopi reservation because we were trying to drop back into the, the lower part of that unit in the Navajo. Because right. we're not, it's not legal for us to hunt the Hopi. Exactly, but you can drive through there. Uh, but we we had been warned, you know, if you're in that particular unit, which is seven, <laughs> and it dries out, you're. I mean, it not dries out, but if it melts, you're in trouble. Yes, and. And by golly, they
1: were right. Never be. I'll never be back in there.
2: (laughs) I'll I'll never get caught back in there again. Not, no way. Not where we were.
1: Uh, We're traveling. No reason to go back in
2: there. (laughs) No,
1: I don't either. Unless you know. Unless you know it's dry. Because when we were out in the middle of those sagebrush flats and that high that high country there, for one thing, the road was all. It was all flat graded, gr- yeah, flat graded. So there wasn't any runoff, and the sides that were had a little bit of a berm on both sides. So it was whole. It was like a, it was like a bobsled run of mud, and it was just mm-hmm. slick as it could be. And then we're looking around and we're thinking, man, if we slide off of this thing, if we do slide off somewhere, because there were some spots, you'd start down a little bit of a grade, and the truck would just go its own way. And so now we're thinking, if we get stuck, how are we going to get out? Because there's nothing to winch to, nothing to come along or nothing. nothing.
2: And there's not going to be anybody come through there. No, because they're all the local.
1: They're smarter than we were. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh,
2: yeah. I guess what, you know, we what we would have had to been praying for was that the roads would freeze solid, Yeah. you know, overnight and we could get up on it somehow and come back,
1: out, come out of there. Man, what a mess. It was, was going to be, it was going to be a long night. Yes, it was. (laughs) Because there were four of us in the truck. Yeah. There's me and you, Steve, and Anthony. Your son, Steve, and Anthony Pace. Yep.
2: Yeah. Uh, Thank the good Lord we got out of there, and I was never so glad to see pavement as, as I was when we finally got out to a highway. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And you and you know where I'm talking about. Where was it?
1: Keems Canyon. Keems Canyon. Yep. Yep.
2: <laughs> yep.
1: It was a great place. I loved that little town. I was glad to see it. Glad to see yeah, it. Yeah,
2: I've never been there before, but it's it's one of my favorites in the reservation <laughs> now.
1: <laughs> exactly. Well, well, one of the things we got to do a lot of was, uh, you know, spend a few days there. And I watched your hounds out there on the road. Uh, watched them working down the road in front of us and uh you know the thing i noticed about your hounds gary was the fact that they were all pretty true to type you had some color variation but as far as build and and athleticism and things like that you know it was all pretty pretty true to type and i like the way your dogs didn't just run down the road you know they got out and worked the brush around the road but they didn't never got out of pocket and uh well is that pretty common they get a lot of well,
2: they get a lot of. That's the way I hunt, you mm-hmm. know. Even here, you know, where, where I live, I guess the average ranch we hunt on is probably three thousand acres uh, on the small end, and you know, up to about ten thousand acres or a little bigger on the top end, and you know, so we. That's you know we don't ever we don't cast them. I mean, these dogs will cast but I I have better, I feel like I have a better handle on them if I'm just, you know, roading them. Mm -hmm. So that's what they're trained to do. And, uh, uh, again, I think, I think you really have better control of those dogs when you're roading them. Once you cast dogs, you know, it seems like, you know, you've got one going north. You've got another one going east. You've got another one going a different direction. And, but you know, and and then they get so much distance between them. If one opens, the other ones may not hear it. They can't cover them. And that's so important when you're hunting, you know, big game, but it's even important in in my country right now, when it's as dry as it is, Mm -hmm. if I get dogs scattered, uh, my chances of catching that coon on the ground is not good. But if I get all my dogs together, working as a team, uh, then my chances of catching that, that critter are, are vastly improved. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, and again, if, you know, if you're going out right after dark and the coons are up moving, you know, they'll hit hot tracks. You may, you know, you can have dogs scattered and everybody's tree get treated and have dogs in different directions and all that it will work. But, uh, the reason I like that at the mornings is like, say, to find out what kind of dogs I've got and to slow them down any, you know, I think a lot of dogs can catch a coon that's a really hot track. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but to, for them to, you know, work a track that hours old and dry conditions and and still find the animal, I think makes them a more complete dog.
0: Yeah. And
2: I, I I just like to watch dogs really work, Mm -hmm. uh, a track. Of course it's fun to listen to them you know jump and run and you know and i really like you know i like i like to see them catch on the ground occasionally you know yeah. some of these coons here will try to outrun the dogs and we'll, we catch a you'll catch a few on the ground same way with cats and bobcats and and then we'll put some of these coons in a hole but i always tell guys you know Most of the guys back east, if they're tuna hunting, they want a dog that's looking to get treed. Mm -hmm. I don't want a dog that's looking to get treed. Right. I want a dog dog that's trying to catch. I want a dog that's trying to catch on the ground.
1: Yeah, you see a lot of advertisements like that. You know, somebody says he's looking to get treed. I remember the older advertisements seemed like it was more about running to catch. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if they can run to catch, in my opinion, if a dog can run to catch, if he runs every track like he's trying to catch it, and that coon does happen to get in a tree, he's going to tree it.
2: Yeah. You know, he's going to tree it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The the problem is, you know, um, and this is why we do the podcast. This is why we have Gary Robertson on here to talk about the way you hunt in in, uh, Texas versus, you know, how I would hunt here in Indiana. We'll tell you that. If we're turning a dog loose and and we're listening to that dog run a track, and we're standing there getting cold listening to him, we need to find a different dog because we've got plenty of coon, and um, it, it just doesn't take that that much nose and tracking ability to be able to tree a coon. We we stay pretty warm and pretty light clothes in pretty cold weather because those dogs are getting treed with, uh, and, but they gotta have they gotta have coons. That's the deal breaker for me. I'm not out there to look at in the tops of trees. I'm out there to look at coons and I want a dog that can run that track. Like he's trying to catch it, locate it and and end up pretty quick. There you go. That's a difference. between. Go ahead.
2: And another thing I think we need to stress is if you're in East Texas, it's very similar to, you know, Mississippi, Louisiana, Mm -hmm. Alabama, big timber country. And that, that's a different world than where we are. Um, we're in we're in country where it's sharp trees, except along the river,
0: mm-hmm. and I
2: don't hunt the rivers because I don't like that style of hunting. That's where the majority of the coons are, but you're just going to slam trees. And I I like to hear a dog run, and I like to see a dog work. So I hunt the hills, and yeah. uh, so where I am is not at all. A lot of guys say, "Oh, I've hunted east, I've hunted down in Texas." Well, most of those guys are hunting east texas Mm -hmm. that's where the majority of the hunters are and uh so it's it's just a different world where we are and i'm not saying it's better i'm just saying it's way different
1: well you're just you're i think it goes back to the fact gary that that there's a certain way that you've found to be effective coon hunting where you like to hunt and you've 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 worked on trying to get dogs that suit you for that and dogs that you can still take To some place like the navajo be able to cover a lot of miles and do it in a way i i've hunted with you both places and and seen i haven't coon hunted with you but we we cat hunted with uh shorty's dogs and you say your dogs operate the same way and i see i see why you're doing what you're doing makes sense to me Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) it
2: does It, it and uh and a lot of it let's face it may go back to my pedigree I, I just wrote an article for a full price uh steve got in touch with me and said he was needing some help so i, I sent him a little article yeah but the- my great grandfather started the south texas wolf hunters association and of course they weren't hunting wolves they were hunting coyotes and they were running them with with running dogs uh, mm-hmm. running walkers or foxhounds julys trigs that's what they used and uh that was back in the 1920s and uh anyway so that's that's in my my bloodline is those running dogs and of course that's primarily what we're using on bobcat in south texas nowadays are running dogs Mm -hmm. uh as you, you you hunted with shardy enough to know that you know they don't they don't trail a whole lot and when they get after a cat they get it jumped uh you've got dogs that are you know, they're they're packing up, but then if they make a lose, you can watch them on the garment. Those dogs are scattering. There's, you know, somebody's going to wing out there and pick it up.
0: Yeah. And yeah. the
2: more dogs you have on the ground, the greater your chances of one of them running over that cat, wherever, you know, finding him, picking up that lose and uh, getting the race going again. So most of those guys, they've got 15 to 20 dogs on the ground. When right. they're hunting, <laughs>
1: that cat better find uh, some place uh, to climb.
2: He, yeah, that's exactly right. It's, and it's not like you know the coon hunting deal where, like where you are, you've got one or two dogs out. Right. Uh, and I, and I'm somewhere in the middle. Uh, I I don't want to handle 15 dogs by myself. That's that's too much work. <laughs> it's too, and that's too many to feed. Yeah, but that's, that's uh, my my I, deal. I like to hunt. I like to four or five, you know, for, for what I do, and like I say, it seems that makes a good team. Uh, you'll have dogs that are, you know, have their strong points, and others that have a, they're weaker in some areas. But you know, they, uh, they they tend to that tends to start out, and uh, you know, it, it makes for an interesting, uh, I guess everybody contributes something. You have that old, this pearl dog. I've got, I have the light colored female. I know mm-hmm. you remember, because she yep. looks like yep. a bird dog, but that is the coldest nose dog I've ever seen. Uh, I've had her strike a line, started a line track, not in the snow, in in damp kind of Sandy country. And I knew the track was six days old and I don't know many dogs that can do that. She, she'll wear you out. She'll start so many tracks that you can't, she can't finish. But to me, you you know, everybody needs that. You need that first bark. If you're hunting cats, especially, I don't care if it's cats or bobcats or lions, because that gets all the other dogs looking. Right. And then you can decide if it's, if it's too old to mess with, Mm -hmm. you can always shut it down. So, so let me ask you this. How did,
1: how did you... How did you know it was six days old?
2: Uh, I had found the track the first time I went through there. She had started the track, and the snow had been on the ground uh, three days before, but this track was made right as the snow was melting, you can mm-hmm. tell. So I felt like it was three days old when she started. But once she started it, I had two other dogs that opened the trail with her, and they trailed to a rocky Draw and they couldn't trail it in the rock, but they the sand, they could still smell it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, three days later, I came back through on the same road, and she went down and started that same track, and I said, when she opened, I said, oh, good, that, that line's come back through here again.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I went down there. No, she had started the same track she had three days before, Yeah, and she trailed it again. This time, she trailed it by herself to that rocky draw.
0: Hmm.
2: But, the other dogs were trying to smell it, and they could smell it a little, but... Yeah. She's crazy cold nose. I had a bloodhound years ago, and that bloodhound couldn't smell what this dog can smell, I don't think. She, yeah. She's kind of a crazy, crazy, amazing dog.
1: Yeah. Well, hey, you
2: guys have been... She's, ch- too, she's too cold-nosed. She's too cold nose, really.
1: Yeah. She could... Uh, that, I how do you how do you gauge that Gary? I mean you say too cold nose but why why would you say that? Because she's
2: gonna waste a lot of your time okay you yes. know you know if you were if coon hunting uh she'll start a track that you know she started one this day, yesterday morning and uh I know it had to have been made early in the night, no telling what finally she you know some other dogs opened with her and and they they moved it a little bit but You know, it just played out. She, so we waste 15, 20 minutes of her trying to mess with that old track. So, what I'll generally do is just, as you know, hit the horn and,
1: uh, or holler
2: at her and she's coming, said she'll come off. Yeah. And uh, then we went right up the road another quarter of mile. She struck again and and it was an old track, but we could work it and we treated so.
1: I'm waiting for turkey season to end here. It ends in a few days, uh, so I can get out and start hunting in the mornings again. Get out there and and get after it where I'm where I hunt. Uh, smaller blocks of land than what you have in Texas. It's pretty typical of of uh, the upper Midwest. So you know you can burn up you can burn up fifty sixty acres pretty quick with a hound here, as you know. And uh, so oh yeah, when when well, that, turkey season
2: ends. That blue dog you've got is going to burn 50, 60 acres up pretty quick because yeah. he's got a big motor.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. He, He's he's
2: going to go through 50, 60 acres in 10 minutes. You're going to be looking for another spot to dump
1: <laughs> in. And I can get away with it, you know – I can get away with it when I'm coon hunting because I've got plenty of places to hunt, and I've talked to landowners, but during turkey season, my neighbor is all turkey hunting stuff, so I'm just not going to be out there in the mornings. I, I really prefer to hunt in the morning. You're the, you're to blame for that, by the way. Just thought I'd let you know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we hunt a little bit. We'd get up in the mornings, but, but after talking to you and getting to know you, I thought, you know, he's on to something there, and uh, I actually uh, – like getting up in the mornings and and getting after it early in the morning, rather than at, well rather than at night.
2: I do it. You know, guy needs to get up and move out anyway. And I like in the daylight. This country is is not as <laughs> dense as that country, shorties. I can see a, it's not. You know, you can see 50, 60 yards out there,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and I can generally watch those dogs work. You know, Garmins are great. You know, you can see what's going on.
1: So it's kind of like, Nava- well. it's it's kind not- of like the Navajo?
2: It's kind of like the Navajo. Okay. Most of this country is. Yeah. Uh, a little more underbrush, of course, but, you know, being able to watch those dogs and uh will let you know who's really working sometime, you know. Uh, so I, I just like, there's nothing like eye contact. Yeah. being able to follow them if you want to and really see what's, what they're doing
0: yeah yeah
1: well hey i'm gonna shift gears on us a little bit tell us about tell me about the hogs you guys have been catching you've been catching we a went few hogs down there.
2: there yeah we did we of course i don't i don't hunt those with my hounds uh i've got there's a young boy here that uh same age as clint my oldest one and they grew up best buddies and and, of course, he coon hunted with me, and he had his own dogs. And, and uh, you know, so I started coon hunting, and then he got into this hog deal. He went to trashing on me. But uh, <laughs> he and then another, another buddy that I've, I've known a young man since he was in high school from over around Lampasas, Texas. And, and he drives over. It's a couple hours over here. But he likes to hunt this country because it's it's bigger range country, and we can kind of go wherever we want, you know, because no one wants these hogs. Right. Uh, there's, when I moved here in 1985, there was not a wild hog in this, feral hog in this county. And then, uh, we went out last Friday morning or Thursday morning, Thursday morning, I guess it was. And we caught probably 15 before 10 o'clock and mm-hmm. we turned them loose probably close to about 730 and we caught probably 15 hogs by 10 and the last one we caught Thursday was a really nice big hog. Uh huh. And he he was a very unusual. He had double cutters on his left side. I had never seen that before.
1: What happened to his right and, side? Uh, did he break him off?
2: Right side was tip. Nope. He had typically had just one big cutter on that side. Huh. But he had. Uh. I don't. I don't. You may have seen the photo on Facebook, but he had big big cutters, double cutters on his left side. I did see him. Uh. And that we had a young lady with us that, as a fifth grade teacher here, she had never hog hunted in her life. Her dad's a, a vet, a veterinarian in Portland, Oregon. Of course, he was raised here as well. And she's from a ranching family. So we'd hunted the Monday before and we caught a really big hog, probably the oldest hog wave I've ever caught. Uh, and I know he was the tallest, he was stood up like nearly waist high on me and uh but he was thin he was not as heavy as you would think Mm -hmm. uh really long bodied and he had huge teeth just regular cutters on him and she saw the photo of that i'd I'd posted on facebook and she said please come to our ranch and hunt we we're overrun with hogs well i was looking for a story and I, I, i hate to do stories where it's just joe you know joe and i are hunting right you know Anybody, you know, a lot of shows, TV shows do that. But I think the reason carnivores remain so popular is we tell stories with every episode. Mm -hmm. And my wife said, well, what's, you know, when we did the first time, she said, well, you caught a big hog and and, uh, all that. But what's your story? I said, well, I don't know, but I'll think of something. (laughs) Well, that night is when she responded to me on Facebook. And I said, here's my story right Here's Kim. I said if I'm gonna call her and see if she wants to go with us uh Thursday and hunt and if she does, we're we're good. Here's a gal that's uh has hunted has never hog hunted and knows the need for some type of predator control and hog control. And that's you know, and then she's a school teacher. I said, This is great. So there's we a story took her there. And, there's a great story there, and yep. what was really cool is uh, you know, with first hogs, we bay up. I mean, we, we're we not in the woods 10 minutes, and the dogs wind off the UTV, and, of course, we stop, and they jump off. They go in a couple hundred yards, and they bay up, and it's a bunch of sows and pigs. But, oh, they they caught a pretty decent-sized sow. And and uh, Rex, uh, the young man from Lampasses, he said, Well, do you want to kill this one? And she said, Yes, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> so the very first hog we bait up, it, it's, it's chaos. You know, it's, it's I call it organized chaos. You got dogs barking and catch dogs have caught and they got one, you know, one do- catch dog in each ear and, and dogs are jumping around, pigs squealing, dogs are barking. And, uh, it didn't intimidate her. She waited right in and kill that first hog. And the reason we don't shoot them with the gun is, you know, you know, it's, it's really obvious. There's, there's, too many dogs right. milling around. The two, you know, for there for someone to pull out a gun and go to shoot. Right. uh, uh Something's going to get shot that you didn't mean to get shot. So, exactly. Pulling out a knife and just stabbing that hog is the quickest way to kill him, and without risking in, in, injury to any of those dogs or anybody.
1: hmm And, and she just right she in and heard, got to take took care of business. She
2: waded right in. She said. She said, "I used to work with my dad at the vet clinic. You know,
1: this ain't nothing." <laughs> so, yeah. So you catching
2: she them? Killed and... probably, she killed probably. She kill killed probably a dozen hogs that day. Wow.
1: So you catching them and and tying them up and and then then killing well, them? Well,
2: we don't tie them. Okay. We don't we don't tie these. We're we're trying to just get as eliminate as many as we can. So the bay dogs, you know, they'll bay the hogs up. Usually the, the hogs run. And once they get them stopped, the bay dogs get them stopped. Then we take in, uh, two pits and those are the catch dogs. They've got best on mm-hmm. and you lead them right up to the bay. And then turn both pits loose at the same time. And wham, uh, they catch and it's, it's pretty wild. Yeah. And then, of course, once they catch, then the other dogs will kind of pile on. Right. But right. Uh, as yeah. soon as that hog is killed or even the, you know, you have to go in and catch that hog by the hind legs. You've got the pits got to, got him immobilized on the front end. So you just go in there and catch that hog by the hind legs. And and then the guys, then somebody move in and stab the hog and then just throw the dog, a hog on the side. Usually by the time you get him tipped over, that hog's dead. Hmm. And then you want those, then you want your bay dogs rolling back out immediately to catch, you know, stop that herd again. Right. So you can go through them. Uh, And then, of course, the pits, you're going to have to, you kind of have to pull them off. You know, sometimes you have to use a brake stick to break them loose on their pitch. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Because
2: they, once they latch on, they're on.
1: Organized chaos.
2: Organized chaos. That's what I call it. (laughs) <laughs> but it, the hog hunting has gotten huge down here in fact you know it's it's i hate to say it but it's bigger than coon hunting nowadays yeah there's more guys doing it
0: mm-hmm. and a lot
2: of them were guys that coon hunted at one time but it, you know the reason they're doing it is there's hogs are so plentiful and they can get on so much country and you know it's it's more of a, a an adrenaline rush and in my opinion you know you don't you don't have to have your dog's uh, they don't have to have maybe the trailing abilities and the treeing abilities,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, they just need to, they just need to want to, to bay. And a lot of these stock dogs, you know, Catahoula's and black mouth curs and that sort of thing, you know, that are good cow dogs. Those are the ones that typically make pretty good hog dogs. Yeah. But then you, you know, you can have them, you got to decide, if you want to make them cow dogs, you're going to make them hog dogs. Cause
0: <laughs> we know where we're hunting
2: there's cattle and you don't want to bay up somebody's cows. Right. Right. But, uh, but that's what they're doing. Essentially, they, you know, they're 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 just stock dogs, and that's the way they handle these hogs. They, when the hogs break and run. They try to, you know, get around them and gather them up. And, and generally, they'll put them in a little thicket. And other morning, we waited in there, and I, I bet there were thirty hogs in in a ten foot radius. There. Yeah. Uh, they were just piled in there. And, it, it was just amazing how many there were.
1: Yeah, yeah, it can be a lot of and, fun. And I mean, it's I love hog hunting, not, but I I pretty much like hunting anything with a with a dog or a hound. If there's a hound oh, or I a dog know. involved, I just I have a blast doing it. So,
2: well, one thing we did see when we waded into those thirty, we turned the pits loose to catch, and they did catch a sow. Well, there were so many hogs there. The other sows were trying to knock those pits off the one sow they had caught. Mm. Hmm. And the good thing is the sows, as you know, don't have teeth to speak of, not like the boars. So they were bouncing the pits around, but they had already locked on. And so Rex just wades in there and and gets the
1: other hogs,
2: you know, spooks (laughs) them away from the cats.
1: That's crazy. I'm going to have to get down there next spring and see some of that. That's, that's, uh. You will,
2: you won't believe it. It's why it's crazy. It's crazy, and it, you know,
1: you, you always
2: like to catch that big hog, and we've been fortunate to catch some really good ones. But you know, that's the one that you're always uneasy about moving in on. Uh, you know, because if there's one that's going to cut a dog, it's going to be those big boars because mm-hmm. they've got such big teeth on them. Right. Right. Uh, and we got a, you know, we got a couple of them nicked up the, the last. Two mornings, but they they were nothing bad, yeah. uh, and of course they have vests on, But you get a big old stout dog. I've seen them knock holes all the way through those Kevlar, Kevlar vests.
1: Yeah, yep, yeah, they can do it. That's for sure.
2: They can do it. They can do it. But uh, that's one thing. Uh, you, we, you mentioned the plot dogs. Uh, heck, there's some guys that are you know using those plots on these hogs, and they some of them do pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you don't want them. That's one thing, of course, these hog guys, they don't want those dogs barking until they have the hogs paid up. In other words, they don't want a dog trailing in their given mouth because those hogs will move away from them.
0: Yeah. So they want
2: a dog that goes in there quiet, gets up on the hogs, then starts barking at him.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: so, you know, a dog that's, that's silent on track and gritty like a pit, they, some, they make pretty good hog dogs.
1: Yeah. I'd like to uh, bring have Mike Colley come with me over there and, and just, he, he prefers a dog open on track. In fact, I, the way I ended up with Cajun which came from Mike was because he didn't open on track, but uh, it's, I think it's just a different philosophy and, and uh, different. It's like you like one style of dog. I like another style of dog and it all, all works out. Sure. You know, sure, it's I- just, What's the old saying? You know, I like, the only the only person the dog has to please is the man that's feeding it, or the woman in this case that's, too.
2: That's it. Yep, yep. That's it. Yep. And I, you know, I like I like a hound that gives mouth on track. And I've got, I've got two females now that are really tight. You know, once you know when they're cold them, and once they get jumped, they're going to give plenty of mouth. Yeah. But they're a little tight, and mm-hmm. I, and the reason I like for them to give mouth is. You know, especially this older female, she's pretty good about finding the track out, and she's on it, but she's not saying anything. Well, if she did open, those other dogs hear and go to her. Right. So, if you she's know, gonna that's cold, why I like to give now.
1: Yeah, if, she, if she's cold, trailing, silent, and she's smelling stuff, these she could be 400 yards away from them before she ever opens, or half a mile, and, right. and then bang, your other dogs are out of it, or taking a long yeah, time to get they to they her. Yeah, don't hear it. Right
2: yes exactly right so so that's why you know and it's a dip i know it's a different game uh, and i can and i can sure see the hog hunters wanting those dogs to be quiet uh you know and especially in the days of garment you know Mm -hmm. you're good you know where they are they don't have to get mouth in the old days you know if they left out silent you wouldn't have a clue where they were and if they went a mile in there and went to bay and you might not have a clue where they were bayed.
1: yeah yep I don't know, this winter I may have to make a, a hog hunting tour. Hit, go down and catch up with my buddy Mike and, and then cruise on west over there and see you guys and maybe take in a bobcat day or two and make a trip out of it. Sounds like fun.
2: Well, come on. That's that's one thing about Texas. We've got, you know, as you, as you know, there's unlimited hunting opportunities here. Probably the most liberal game laws, in, well, without a doubt, in the United States.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, so just come on. And and the deep thing about this hog deal is the the biologists tell me that if you don't remove 75% of the population annually, you're losing ground.
1: That's amazing. Because
2: they can, if conditions are good, they'll raise two litters.
0: Mm -hmm. They
2: may raise six to eight pigs in a litter. Right. And then they're also, You know, once that, that little, that guilt her show is six to seven months old, she can be breeding and start raising. So if you don't remove 75% of the population every year, you're losing ground. And we saw that on display just last week. Mm-hmm. We weren't hunting, we were hunting 3000 acres and we'd ever got out of a thousand. I don't think we hunted right in about a thousand acres and I don't know how many hogs we, we bait up in there, but I I'd safely say over a hundred on Friday.
0: Hmm.
1: We killed probably. 16. So we, down around Cthula are there hogs like that down there too?
2: Yes, they don't I don't think the populations are quite as high there because it's uh
1: I can't remember. I don't this, think we saw any, but I maybe we saw there some wa- sign. there were
2: not there was not any in that place where we hunted because they have shot, uh, they've shot them out. Okay. Uh, they do a lot of, uh, aerial gunning. It's, you know, and that's what they're starting to do here to do control of populations is just, you know, aerial gun. Them. Mm. In fact, there's, there's companies or outfitters that are, yeah. they lease or are on a helicopter and then they charge these guys to come out and shoot and they charge them like a thousand bucks or for an hour and they let him shoot hogs out of the helicopter. So it's a win-win deal. The rancher gets rid of the hogs, and yeah. uh, the outfitter gets to make some money.
1: Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Oh, but so.
2: I'm, I'm not. I'm not into aerial gunning. I, you know, I think the way to hunt most game is get on the ground and chase them with a the dog.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Well, how many episodes are you going to have with uh, hounds in it for Carnivore TV? For episode ten, I know Woo! you're working. I know you're working on it.
2: We'll probably have four uh, episodes this year with with hounds or hog hunting. Well, yeah. maybe five. Yeah. Uh, hell, there's a bunch of people want me to do one on the coon hunting deal, uh-huh. and because uh, I haven't done that in years, I'm kind of looking for a story there before I do that one, because uh, that's something we can do pretty easy here uh and then we'll do a couple with with uh calvin uh old bear and lion stuff mm-hmm. and then of course the, the hog stuff
1: here as well
0: yeah
1: yeah
2: Did, and
1: uh are you uh and we'll do some with
2: shardy uh, i'm gonna do one with shardy as well yeah i've yeah. got a young gal that's legally blind uh she's a student at texas a&m and, and i'm taking as soon as we can get out and do a little more traveling and take her down to shorties. And we're going to, we're going to do a little cat hunting with her. Cause she can see well enough. I think, especially if we can get a cat silhouetted that she can kill it.
0: Yeah. So
2: she wants, she, that's what she wants is a bobcat. So I told her, that's what we do.
1: Yeah. Sounds like a good story for sure. Oh, it's, you got to have the stories. Like
2: I say, you know, they're just, people get tired of it. Joe and I are hunting. Here we go. Yeah, I hear you. You know, I hear. You. Uh, there needs to be a storyline, and and that's what we try to do.
1: Well, Gary, you got any? Uh, you got any news on that elect- that new uh, digital caller? Uh, we've been
2: using them and uh, field testing them, and we really like what we're seeing. Uh, in fact, I was. Right before I talked to you, I was visiting with my engineer. Uh, we're supposed to get the latest prototype sent to me today that has all the changes I wanted made. And if those changes are to my satisfaction, then I guess we'll put it into production. So we hope to have it out in, hopefully out in July or August.
1: Nice. And how how uh, big a unit are we talking about? What do you, what are you expect? It's this- not
2: big. Uh well I'm I'm looking at it right now of course with the carrying case it's gonna stand up close to foot tall and oh, nearly a foot deep and about probably eight inches across something like that mm-hmm. uh, without the batteries in it we just weighed it what did it weigh Steve uh, three pounds I think is all it weighed with yeah. the with the remote three pounds but this one since it is processing processing so much more information it takes more batteries okay uh so we have a rechargeable battery in it and then as a backup i put six d batteries in it mm-hmm. but so i can go a couple of days without without running out of power
0: yeah
2: and uh with those batteries it, it puts it up a little over six pounds that's with the remote and everything
1: well good deal good deal I'm- that way you're going to make so much money. You're going to make so much money off that digital collar that you you'll get to pick up all the bills at, at Harris next year.
2: There you go. We'll, we'll <laughs> be glad to. If we, what's great. We've got, you know, people have been in, waiting for this product for some of them over two years because yeah. we've been working on it three years. Right. And I'm so glad. I'll be so glad to see some money come back this way to date. All the money has been going the other way for R and D. I hear, I hear you, man. It's time to bring some money back this way. So uh,
1: I'm going to tell, uh, tell a funny. Yeah. I'm going to tell a funny story, and it's it. So the first night we went to Harris, you know, you were real generous and you pick up picked up the the tab and everything. And I said, "Well, I'll get the bill tomorrow night." Well, the next night, Calvin comes with his wife and his kids. And I got to pick up that bill, and I think you yeah. had that. I think you had that planned. I, I'm just going to throw that out sure there. I did. Yeah,
0: sure. I did. I got that yeah. bill.
1: I got that bill. I, and I about had a heart attack. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> No, it was yeah. all good. It was all good. I look forward. I I'll tell you what. I when we went to the shot show this year, first time I've ever been, but also i can say i've been to vegas before and i really didn't enjoy it that much the first time i went and uh this time i went i had an absolute blast between hanging out with calvin red house and and you and and we just had a lot of fun i'm i talked my wife into going she's coming next year so
2: there we go yeah there we
1: go yeah and i told well
2: her, i keep saying I'm, I'm not going back because i've been i don't know how many of those things i've been to and but every year it seems like i here. I am. I'm back out there. So uh, I guess I'll say I'm not going. But I'll probably be back out there again this
1: year. I hope you are. I really do. <laughs> I really do. Cause that was kind of a uh, that was a fun trip, and it was kind of we'd been out in the mountains and hunting and doing all that stuff. But then we came back to I guess Vegas is civilization. Some would argue, but uh, you know it was it was still it was still a good time. I mean, and I'm not a I'm not a metro guy that likes going to those big cities but we had a good time
2: we did we did and uh yeah i don't know if you can call that civilization or not i'm not sure <laughs> what vegas is it's another world
1: it's its own but, world isn't
2: it? uh, it's its own world but you know i don't gamble so right uh you know we go to the shot show and of course we know so many you know we've been going so long we know a lot of folks there and you knew everybody, everybody there. It well, not everybody, but you know that's, a, you know some of those people. The only time I see them is at the shot show, uh-huh. so it's kind of like a family reunion, and 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 we've got guys that we just go and visit with, and you know, and like catch up on you know their families and what's going on and sure. what you know what they're bringing new to the industry, and you know that's that's the neat thing about shot it's, you know, hunting is really a small fraternity when it all melts down. And, and most everybody's a good guy that's in this industry.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, And if you're thinking about hunting, you're generally in a good mood. So most everybody's, you know, (laughs) has a smile on their face. Right. It's all good.
1: Yep. Yep. For sure. For sure. Well, Gary, We better wrap this one up. And uh, if you haven't got anything else, you got anything else you want to throw out there? Any stories you want to tell on me or anything?
2: No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good today. Uh, Like I said, I've been visiting with Steve and I'm not sure when, uh, uh, when the article will appear in full cry. You you probably know. It will
1: be uh, June, the June edition of full cry magazine. So, what we've done there, and this is a shout out to, for Steve. Steve has taken this project on all on his own. Um, of course, Steve has a long history of, of magazines and, and being a, a writer and, and I mean, writing for publications. He was the, the editor of Coonhound Bloodlines and, and really created that magazine into what it was in its heyday. And, and, um, and now with Full Cry, uh, we had an opportunity as Houndsman XP to have our own exclusive segment in Full Cry. And Steve has taken that on to, uh, it's really pretty high class segment there. And I would encourage all our listeners to to find a subscription, buy a subscription to Full Cry, because I think Steve's putting together content there that's going to uh, really appeal to, Houndsmen of every stripe i mean you really do get anything that you can think of there's squirrel dog stuff we're, we're trying to up the amount of hound stuff that's back in there seth hall's writing side hound articles about his his long dogs or his his greyhounds. Uh, you know i've talked to shorty about writing s- some some for uh uh the running dog crowd so i'm looking steve's gonna steve's gonna make his mark with that full cry segment i believe well, I think so. He's been
2: successful with every endeavor he's taken on and uh I'll be honest i had I don't have a subscription to full cry but i'm 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 going to get one and uh, the reason I quit him is when it seemed like it was a little more more maybe squirrel hunting than and I wasn't into that but right, right. Uh, now the june day, it kind of uh, don't be disappointed he did say he thought that my article would be the feature article for June and uh, had it known that, I would have put a little more time into it, but, uh, I did try to send him a couple of interesting photos. So, yeah. uh, yeah. I'm not sure which one, what he's going to use.
1: We'll just wait and see. Well, we appreciate you doing that for sure. Gary, I, I know Steve was excited about it and, and, uh, hopefully we can get, get some more articles from you. Cause you've been in, you've been in the industry a, a long time. You've been in hounds for a long time. You've got a lot of, you got a lot of things to share with, uh with the Houndsman XP crowd and the hound world. That's for sure.
2: Well, and if we didn't have enough to do, I'm in and the process of writing a book that it'll, but it's going to, this one's going to be on calling. It's going to be a little on horn, rat, rattling whitetails Cause I've done with so much of that a little on calling turkeys in the spring and a whole lot of call on calling predators. And, uh, looks like it's going to be around 300 pages probably 200 color photos and uh i don't know my wife can talk me into this one and uh we'll see how it works but that that book should be out in july and it's going to be titled eyes front
1: okay nice i like the title the title sounds good i know it'll be a high quality i wasn't going to bring it up because i didn't know if you were ready to put it out there yet that it was coming out
2: well we do you know i've done so much writing through the years basically we're going to just compile a lot of the articles that i've written good and uh so and then she said well when are you going to do one on hound hunting i said i don't know
1: well, let's see how this goes first yeah <laughs> yeah that'd be a good time be a good time well gary all right
2: my friend it's hey, always a pleasure
1: you bet it is a pleasure and uh I always value the time I get to spend with you, either on the phone or in person, Gary. So stay in touch, and until we get together again, you follow your hounds, I'll follow mine.